Good morning, everyone. This is Jeffy Kennedy. I'm here with my first cup of coffee. Mm. Today is Friday, July 10th. It's Friday. Hope you all are having a delightful Friday, or had one, depending upon when you are listening to this. This one rose bush of mine is really getting munched on. I wonder why. Are you stressed or are you just particularly tasty? It might not be getting much water, it looks like. Hmm. That would be stressed. That would count as stressed. Let us see here. Why aren't you emitting? No water. Oh, that would be because his hose isn't hooked to anything. <laughs> no water in, no water out. So you guys learn something new here on Jeffy's first cup of coffee every day. Let's just, oh, and so that rose bush hasn't been getting any either. So what happened is, oh, let's not do that one. I was going to put a different emitter on there, but that wouldn't be the correct one to use. Nothing wrong with this emitter. So, oh, you guys don't care. <laughs> one of the things I had to do to fix the drip system was swap out the big hose because it had kinks in it and I couldn't massage them out. So what that means is, is that I ended up adding connections. Oh, here's where it should have connected. I had to replace all the connections into the new hose. But clearly, I missed this one. Now look at that. Connect it to the water, and the water magically comes out. Making sure it comes out. Yeah, it just needs to clear some air out of the hose. There we go. All right, sorry, you guys. You were probably getting pretty thirsty. It's been very hot here. We're supposed to have record-breaking heat this weekend. Good thing there's no such thing as global climate change, or we'd all be concerned. But <laughs> that joke, um, I want to say it'll never get old, but it got old a long time ago. It just... Uh, Never ceases to apply, right? So, but it's nice and cool out in the Great Barber here. It's funny because it really cools down at night still, but it cools down more outside than in the house. The house really sort of creates some positive pressure. So when I woke up this morning, it was, I think, 72 in the house, and 63 outside. It's like, why can't it go all the way down to 63 in the house? That'd be so nice. But we do get nice breezes blowing in. And I know that many of you are in places. I have lived there where it does not cool down at night. You have to run the air conditioning all night. And uh, I'm not a fan of air conditioning. I know a lot of people don't mind it. I, I find it very obnoxious. So, 
Let's see. I did not quite get my 3K on Dark Wizard last night. Or last night, yesterday. Um, I'd gotten a little less than a thousand before I left for writer coffee. And I did get more. I ended up with 22-something. And I did... Um, I mean, I've done more already this week than I had done in several weeks, so I'm considering that part of the ramp-up. And also, I'm kind of drilling into a bit more world-building. I might just sort of throw out some things on today and see what happens. Um, it's kind of a... I don't want to call it a plot problem. I wish I had a good term for this. But it's... Um, my character is faced with a big problem. And I do not know how she's going to solve it. Somebody else has promised to, has promised a brilliant plan. And I'm still waiting to find out what that brilliant plan is. <laughs> so like any time someone wants to give that brilliant plan, that'd be awesome. And I suspect that it's, um, the solution lies in some of the world building that I haven't figured out yet. So when people ask me, Jeffy, how do you do your world building? which I do get asked a lot. Um, and Leslie Penelope and I had that conversation about it a lot, or just recently. Um, you know, I in some ways feel a little bit like a fraud <laughs> in that I, I don't really do world building outside of the story. So I'm not really a fraud. I mean, I... People always say very nice thing about my world building, you know, meticulous world building and wonderful compliments like that. But when people, like if I'm teaching a class, writers will ask me, you know, like, well, how much time do you set aside to do research and world building and all that sort of thing? And I always tell them I don't. So there's a few pieces to this. Um, one of which is that I think it's advantageous to be someone who starts writing later in life for this reason. Because I have a buttload of education. <laughs> you know, I went to college where I had a double major um, in unrelated topics. See, that's the thing, you know, like if you go to school to, to be a writer to get and get like an MFA, that's great, but it doesn't necessarily give you meat to work with. So in college, I double majored in biology and religious studies. I had a theater minor. That was mostly for fun. And unofficial, I never, like, I only figured out later that I had enough credits for it, and I could have. So I claim it only for demonstration purposes. <laughs> but that I know a lot about theater, too, which I think is helpful for writing because you understand like things like dialogue and staging and body movements. Um, and then the biology helps a great deal. Uh, I, because when you have a biology degree, you learn about all kinds of life. You learn about ecosystems. You learn about physiology, anatomy. You learn about flora and fauna um, all of the things that go into creating a world, right? With religious studies, that's, of course, moral philosophy in many ways, because uh, I did comparative religious studies. 
So you kind of look at the broad spectrum of how people um, embrace the spiritual side of their lives. The non-physical. So it was really cool to have a biology and religious studies double major because it was basically I was studying both the physical and the non-physical. And then I went to graduate school getting my Ph.D. in neurophysiology, which I did not finish. I'm an ABD Ph.D., all but dissertation, um, because I just cut bait and got my master's when I figured out I really wanted to be a writer. But in studying neurophysiology, I was, again, studying sensory processing and how we understand the world. And then from there, when I cut bait to get my master's degree, I was working for Game and Fish, uh, I got my degree in a department that was heavily focused on wildlife and endangered species conservation, ecosystem conservation. I worked in a research group, getting my chops as a, as a writer, as an editor and writer, a petroleum research group. So I understand about resource extraction and and then I worked for an environmental consulting firm for 18 years before I went full-time as a writer. So I think all of those things allowed me to understand what goes into building a world. I also come from a politically invested family um, where the dinner table conversations involved a lot of politics. So I've understood political sweep. So what happens when you do this, when you fill your brain full of the understanding of the components of world building is that then world building becomes like a language to you. You don't have to like go out and deliberately build a world. It, it fills in. You sort of draw from all of these pieces. It's like having a very large vocabulary. I have, a, I have a big world vocabulary. That's an interesting way to put it. I might have to record this because this is probably a better way of describing my world building technique than anything else I've uh, stuttered through. I was also thinking this morning, it was a random thought, but I was <laughs> remembering a little kid that I babysat for. Um, a very weird little kid with, you know, just... And I was remembering one of the ways that he was weird. And I was thinking about how, how much I babysat. Um, starting from about the time I was 11 or 12, I was a very responsible kid. And by the time I finished like high school, um, I was even certified. I don't think I had an official certification, but I had a reputation for being able to babysit newborns. And so, you know, and I lived in a nice suburban neighborhood, and there were lots of young families. But I was thinking about how much I learned about how different families are, and how different people are, and how they raise their kids. Because this little boy wasn't weird on his own. I think he had kind of weird parents. Uh, I was thinking, you know, really, that would be a good piece of advice, is that I think all writers... If you want to be a writer, you should do a lot of babysitting or, um, you know, be an au pair or something like that, because I think that you learn a great deal about the broad spectrum of families and how people interact that way by sort of being this um, 
quasi part of the family, but at the same time a somewhat objective observer. So that's kind of how, because I'm writing Dark Wizard sort of from this core scene, and I know the scenario and the sort of social groundwork that has forced my characters into a particular position, I haven't quite fleshed out everything. It's all so far taken taking place in a pretty small room. And so while the world and the politics have influenced what's put these people in a small space, I haven't yet fleshed out what the broader world is like and how how it will go from there. So I don't know how this solution is going to come about. It's all a very long way of saying that. But even if you guys don't care, that was useful insight for me on how I, this is exactly how I write. I have to just talk things through to figure out how I, what I understand, what I think. So that's, um, <coughs> I might have to transcribe this one, right? So, the other thing, oh, two other things I wanted to tell you guys. I promised to report back on the uh, Project Greenbelt. Um, it was a funny meeting. It was a Zoom meeting. And it was really kind of interesting in that everybody on this Zoom call was an old white guy, um, except for me. And there was one other woman who was the rep for the um, sort of the agency that governs our homeowners association. And she made a quick report and then seemed to disengage entirely. And I don't think she was taking notes because someone else had volunteered to take minutes. So she was um, just started typing on something else. Clearly she had to be there, but I, she didn't seem very interested. She didn't seem like she was listening anyway. Maybe I'm wrong. You can't always tell when people are listening. But otherwise, it was all <laughs> kind of bog-standard old white guys. Um, no, not tremendously older than I am, but, you know, kind of like, um, well, I guess I've already said it. And it was just funny because I was trying to think, when was the last time that I was in a meeting entirely with white men of a, spe of a certain age? And I thought, it's been forever. And there are a lot of jokes about our unincorporated community that people call it uh, Gringo Lotto or the White Res. And I always thought that was funny, but an exaggeration. And now it's like, huh, maybe it's uh, more on the nose than I had realized. So it was also funny because the committee chair did a lead-in and then said why I was there and asked me to state my case, you know, explain that I was looking to create this path and asked me to state my case. And so I started to, and then he cut me off and he said, let me stop you there. <laughs> and I really barely got to speak again after that. And then they all, you know, explained to me how things work. And it was fine. I mean... I was bemused. <laughs> I was bemused by this. Uh, but I also know how I come across, you know, that people look at me and um, I don't know. They see someone who needs to have things explained to her. Let's put it that way. 
And so it wasn't negative. Um, you know, they were talking about, well, we have to think about doing this for next spring. It's, uh, it moved slowly. I ended up mentioning at the, towards the end, <laughs> I felt like I could get a word in edgewise again. I did say, mention that I, they said we'd have to get neighborhood buy-in, which, you know, the houses that border the trail, which I fully expected. Good morning, Hummer. Oh. Yeah. You going to sit on your twig and look at me? Yeah. Very pretty. <laughs> So she, let's see, sorry, Hammer distracted me. Oh, so I, I did end up saying that with the neighborhood buy-in. I said, well, I am a novelist, and so I'm happy to help with writing a letter and doing outreach. And I said, and I have also was an environmental consultant in my uh, previous life, and so I understand a lot of the things that they were talking about, about erosion and so forth. And they were saying, I mean, it was interesting hearing their explanation of that the Conservation Committee is part of their mission is to create ways for people to enjoy the resource and also to prevent erosion. And that when they put in trails that they also put in um, various berms and other devices to help control soil erosion. So, so it was not negative. One guy was like, eh, I don't think we you know, need to do this and blah, 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 blah. But another one who turns out to be a fairly close neighbor, he's, he actually lives on one of the roads that we do for our walking route. Um, when I said I had worked for an environmental consulting firm, he, firm he'd given me a thumbs up. They had also asked me if a social trail already exists which I started to say no, and Thumbs Up Guy was saying, actually, he and his neighbor have a social trail at one end. I'm not sure where it is. Uh, and I did see, and he said that he had gone in and flagged where a route would be, and I have found his flags. So it turns out that maybe we could, this is my, my takeaway from the meeting, is that I could, um, David and I could create a social trail, an unofficial trail. So this is going to be our next step. Um, we're going to get out the maps and figure out, but I think those flags will do a lot to guide us. So that's the report on Project Greenbelt. The other thing I want to tell you guys is we've been watching a show on Amazon Prime called the called Hidden, just plain Hidden. It's a 2018 series, and it's Welsh, filmed in Wales, and a lot of the people speak Welsh. In fact, they go rather seamlessly between English and Welsh. And it is a, um, it's about a detective, a detective inspector, and a kind of like a s serial, not serial ki killer so much, a serial kidnapper guy um, who keeps, takes these girls and keeps them captive, and then they turn up dead later. So, you know, it's, it's one of those things. But it's... For those of you feeling like you can't watch police procedurals anymore, which I totally get because I'm starting to feel very torn about our um, glamorization of the police in fiction, it's refreshing to watch the Welsh police because they are so much more low-key than American cops. And there is not, they, you know, like I don't think our detective inspector even carries a gun, as they usually don't in the U.K., 
so it's not, it's not, um, it's like all of the cool things about solving the mystery without the, and, and the lead character is a woman, then without the macho brouhaha. And it's, it's very smart and it's psychologically interesting. Uh, there's all of these different characters with different kinds of trauma and it's very faithfully recreated extremely well done that way and then i realized something else last night as we hit episode let's see we did two and two and then last night we watched three because we started early because it was hot <laughs> so we were inside um so what was that episode seven but it occurred to me that all of the parental relationships um in this whole series, it's all fathers and daughters. Every single one is fathers and daughters. There is like one mother, and then the only son, the only mother-son relationship is this whacked out mother and the serial killer son. Otherwise, it's all daughters, like even like the detective inspective, inspector's sister, um, has three daughters and the um, detective inspector is living with her father and so it's about her being a daughter and it's just it's really wonderful I highly recommend it and I will attempt to remember to link to it so I'm going to go get to work I hope you all have a wonderful weekend I hope that you are staying safe and happy and creating as according to your own wishes and devices. And I will talk to you all on Monday. First Cup of Coffee is part of the Frolic Media Podcast Network. And you can find more podcasts you'll love at frolic.media slash podcasts. And you all take care. Bye-bye.